Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. On today's podcast, I get to chat with Raj Sarkar. Raj is the CMO at 1Password, and his career alone has been some amazing brands and opportunities, working with companies like Google, really focused on product marketing, coming into amazing companies like Atlassian, where he saw so many different brands, brands us as marketers love, like Trello, and really figure out how to bring them to market in an efficient way. And he's got a whole blog post about this. Don't stop the podcast, but go check out his article on Outbound Fury, F-U-R-Y, Fury. And you'll find a really tactical approach to leveraging the web. And that's a lot of what we dig into in our second half today. When we have so many different markets that we're trying to target, perhaps it's different buyers, perhaps it's different opportunities within our buyer segments. How do you do so efficiently by optimizing based on what your audience is looking for? This episode will give you those keys. Here's my chat with Raj. Raj, thanks so much for jumping in here. I'm really excited to chat about your journey. I don't know where I want to start because I love Atlassian. I love their products. You're a product guy, but let's start with how you chose 1Password to be your CMO gig. How did that come to be? Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a long story. I was already at Atlassian. Uh, I've been in Atlassian for almost six years. If you look at my background, I've almost worked in every single product in the Lassian family. So I worked in Bitbucket, I worked in Stride, I worked at HipChat, I worked at Confluence, I worked in Travel, almost all the products in the family. Uh, and if you, for the folks who haven't heard about Atlassian, Atlassian was almost, you can think about as like the founding father of the PLG movement. And one of our biggest investors was Axel. So Axel, uh, in at the end of 2019, invested in one password. Basically, reached out to me and said, "Hey, you know, we just invested in one password. Can you come on board and help them get started with marketing?" And interestingly enough, if you know, if you look at the history of one password, one password has been has bootstrapped for almost 10 or 11 11 years and was predominantly an engineering product oriented company. So that's how you know I got introduced to One Password. While at Atlassian, I was actually advising One Password informally for quite some time before they invited me to join their board of advisors. And I was a board of I was on the board of advisors for almost a year before I accepted the CMO role. That's what that's, I mean. That's cool that you got to know this company so exactly. well. I mean, most of us are trying to cram through an interview process in under two, three weeks so that we can get comfort on both sides. And in your case, it's almost like you got to date for a year. I mean, that's that's longer than I dated my wife before. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's why, you know, it was so comfortable for me to take the gig, actually. You know, and CMO gigs are hard. I mean, you're a CMO, you know how hard. 
incredibly hard it is. It makes your job so much easier if you know the people, if you know the culture. So I already knew the culture was amazing for this uh, for one password. And especially if you look at the founders, for example, the founders are almost like the next-door neighbors, and Canadians in general are extremely nice. I'm a Canadian too, so I'll agree with you there. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the things about um, OwnPassword is one of those few companies which have kindness in the values, and we really, really mean it. So the two reasons actually which convinced me to join OwnPassword, one was obviously the culture and the people, and number two is like the growth trajectory. Those are the primary reasons why I jump ship and join one one password as a CMO. Interesting. Well, we're going to hit more on their go-to-market and the opportunity there later in this podcast. But I want to I want to also just chat a little bit about, you know, you hit on culture. And Atlassian, I, I know a number of people who have had time at, at Atlassian or whose companies like HipChat, you mentioned, were acquired by Atlassian. Everyone talks about the culture. And it seems non-hierarchical, really flat organization. One of the things that people look at your LinkedIn is you were the head of marketing for all teams. And this Mm -hmm. head of marketing role probably groomed you to be a CMO, but how different was it than being a CMO today? Is there there any real difference in your mind in terms of sometimes we get overwhelmed by titles? Yeah, it's interestingly enough. So the way uh, Atlassian structured the organization especially at the later part before I left, is they put the business, you can think about it as like virtual business units, and based on, to your point, audience or buyers. So there was a business unit for software teams, there was a business unit for IT teams, and then everything else falled into the all teams category. So I led marketing for all teams, and I had a product counterpart I had an engineering counterpart, and I had a design counterpart. We used to call it the the squad. So it very much actually exposed me. To some extent, you can think about it's like a kind of a CMO gig, but I didn't have the CMO title. But my team did uh, not only product marketing, but we also did brand, or we also did content. So we did all like we were in the end responsible for growing the Altim's business from a marketing perspective. So you can say it was almost like a CMO gig without the CMO title. I like that. Let's dig a little deeper on this squad, as you called it, these counterparts overseeing core elements of any team, design, engineering, product. I mean, that becomes, when you're CMO, probably your equivalents in terms of VP level, C-level individuals. And I'm, I'm curious how you've come into 1Password and been able to bring some of those elements in terms of communication with some of those other members of your now leadership team. Yeah, 100%. Like I, I, start, like I mentioned that 1Password is predominantly an engineering-driven company. And if you look at the history in the last, the last year or so, 12 months or so, we hired a sales leader, we had an engineering leader, we had a product leader. So majority of the people who have joined the organization very new. So we didn't have this muscle of how marketing works with engineering or how marketing works with product and how marketing works with design teams. Having that experience from Atlassian helped me to some extent build those bridges across the organization. And we're trying to establish it right now because again, like I said, the functions are 
pretty new. So all the lessons which I learned in Atlassian, uh, there was tremendous value on you know, being part of this core leadership team and how well we work together. I haven't seen that happen in like my previous role, for example, at Google. So Atlassian did that really, really well. Uh, and when I joined One Password, so we started talking about like how can we make sure like product marketing and engineering work together. For example, I'll give you a specific example. In, since engineering didn't have product and marketing, there are a lot of features which will get shipped. Initially, when when we come when me and Akshay came on board, the features will get shipped, and we'll come to know after the features getting shipped. Right. Because there was never the muscle of like, hey talking to product and marketing, for example, and we'll discover it either through, you know, on the release note or a blog post. So things like, like things like that, like having a process in place, like how product engineering, marketing and design work well, work together, um, bringing, bringing that learning from Atlassian has helped, helped me tremendously at 1Password. That's really interesting. And, and it's, it's, I mean, 1Password has grown so dramatically and I can tell you, I've had a personal account for it for, for years. And I've sensed, to your point, just the shift in terms of how communication is working from an end user perspective, because I think there used to be like an email once a year saying, here's what we did, uh, you know, kind of a year in review as a user, as an end user, compared to your point, even your own team probably wasn't hearing that versus just hearing it from the founders. Yeah. Uh, the big shift. Tell, tell us a little bit, just as, as you've taken on this CMO role and you said there wasn't a lot of marketing in place, how, you know, in the last, I know it's only been about eight months of being there as CMO versus the board role that you referred, but how have you had to build out the marketing team and what have been some of the big pillars you've put in place? Yeah, yeah, good question. So when I came on board, I think... The marketing team, quote unquote, was predominantly what you call the growth marketing organization. So there was a demand generation team. There was a paid marketing team. So those were the two core teams, basically, which was part of marketing. There was this, uh, there was the, there was no, for example, no brand marketing organization. <laughs> there was no product marketing function. Uh, there was no operation or analytics function. There was a component of web and marketing design, which was which was in a different parts of the organization. So when I came on board, within the first 30 days, I basically shared with the board and the leadership team, how do I envision the marketing organization evolving inside one password in, in the next year or two. And the way I looked at the marketing organization is basically there are four pillars. The first pillar is what I call the brand and content marketing pillar, which is in any other organization is basically the corporate marketing pillar, right? The second pillar is, it's unusual, but you see that happening more in PLG organization. And this is exactly how Atlassian structured it as well. The product marketing and the demand generation slash paid marketing functions were together. And I call it the product and growth marketing pillar. The third pillar is uh, the marketing operations analytics program management pillar. And the way I talk about this pillar is in engineering organization, they call it the DevOps. This is the DevOps arm of marketing, right? Their job is to make, sure, to make sure that the marketing organization is running efficiently. And then the fourth pillar is what I call the technical arm of the marketing organization. So this is the web team, 
this is the experimentation team. And in the long run, might have like some data engineering components as well. So that's how I have structured the, you know, the one password uh, marketing organization. Interesting. So I, I want to dig on a number of those, but we're going to take a short break here because you're teeing up perfectly the go-to-market and the buyer journey, which we'll jump into right after this break on the marketer's journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. If you don't know that acronym, PLG, we're talking product-led growth. And I almost kid when I tell you that lately I feel like we could rename this podcast from the marketer's journey to the product-led growth journey. More and more companies are focused on how do they leverage their users and their product to bring people through to become our customers, become our advocates. If you actually just look back on some of my more recent guests, episode 79, Joe Chernoff talking about it at Pendo. Episode 89, we'll talk a little bit about Chris Kohler a little bit later at Fox. This is a real path to growing a massive organization. The scale we get by leveraging our product versus always leveraging that next marketing campaign has huge opportunity for us in how we scale our business. Raj, before the break, we were talking about how you structure your team. And there was a big part in there about how you go to market, combining branding content with product marketing and growth. Now, I would imagine that at Lassian, you had really massive budget just with the scale that they had accomplished. Is, is it easy to jump into a company that's at an earlier growth stage and not have the same budget at your disposal for the ideas that you may have. Yeah. You'd be surprised, Randy, to know that marketing did have a massive budget budget at Atlassian. If you look at um, you know, Atlassian's, for example, sales and marketing cost as a percentage of revenue, among the enterprise companies, it's the lowest. Uh, it's around like 15 to 17%. If you compare it with traditional enterprise companies, it's usually more than 50%. So we didn't have um, you know, a massive budget to pl play around with, but given the size, you're right, because one password is still like upcoming and Atlassian was like a post IPO, post public company. So obviously the budget was more, but I think that whole sk you know, skill set of being lean as a marketing organization uh, I think I bring that as a strength to one password because I've already learned to some extent like how you can do marketing on a lean budget. 
okay. I, I'm now everyone's you know turning up the volume. They want to know how to do this, and and I know you've got some posts out there where you talk about the strategies to yes. do, you know, to really yeah. execute at a low CAC. I, you know, I've also branded it to some extent. I, and if you see, if you go to my LinkedIn profile, if you go to my Twitter, I talk about it and call it Outbound Fury. And the origin of Outbound Fury, uh, I wrote a, even a post about it. This happened during the Google days, actually. And you would be surprised, like Google as a company had a mass, massive budget, but the enterprise team was very limited when it, com- when, when it came to a you know, brand budget. And I'm talking about 2010, 2011, when Google didn't start doing ad, like TV ads, for example. The, we, were, we were not still not in TVs at that t- TV at that time. And then the, and the enterprise marketing team was like, how do you compete with, I'm talking about the Google Apps team, like how do you compete with Microsoft? And one of the things we talked about is, Every single article which talks about Microsoft Office to mention uh, Google Apps, right? So we want it to be constantly out there in the market. And that was either through the Google Apps team, like shipping features, so we'll do blog posts all the time, or <laughs> we, we, will do, like, we will do like fun social stuff, like poking fun at Microsoft Office, for example. And there was like a healthy competition between Microsoft and Google. So this is where I learned this whole concept of outbound fury. Uh, and I took that learning to Alassian as well. Like in the early days, for example, uh, when I joined the Bitbucket team, we didn't have a, like a massive budget, right? And GitHub, GitLab was still, I, I think, not a big player. And GitHub was a huge player in, in the space. How would you get, get attention as Atlassian? Like how do we get how would Bitbucket get atten- attention? So we came, like, there were a lot of interesting things we did. For example, we did a campaign called Built with Bitbucket. And the idea was the developers can talk about all the cool stuff, cool apps they built with Bitbucket. They were, we got a lot of uh, traffic because of that. Uh, the second strategy we used is uh, what I call SEO or organic. For example, if you're a technical person, you'll know this whole concept of Git, which is used by developers to store their code repositories, right? And a lot of developers want to know, like, want to learn Git. So we created a Git microsite, which had nothing to do with the product. And when you search the Git keywords, you know, the Git microsite will, will come on the top, and people will come on the Git microsite, and they would obviously go to Bitbucket and know more about Bitbucket. So there's like a lot of interesting oh, things we did. Very smart, simple value yeah. add. Right. It didn't need like millions of dollars for us to invest actually. So really interesting. And you know, this is making sense. It's essentially you're leveraging the web for all that it can do. And I, I think people are sitting here though saying, okay, but it, it does get tricky. We have so many different buyers to attract verticals that we're being told about by our sales team. And I'm sure that's the same at 1Password. Like I'm looking on the 1Password website right now, which people can go to. I mean, you can sign up for this thing as a family, as a business, as a developer. Probably you can sell to IT in your ideal world. How do you determine this mindset of outbound fury, but also either focus or segmentation? Yeah, I think... There, there is a lot of work we need to do from a one password perspective. Like if you go to the homepage, for example, 
what has happened is over over time, because one password started off as a consumer product. It's primarily started off in as a B2C product. And then we added the B2B component in 2016. And the developer component got added in 2020, right? Uh, so now it's it's super complicated from your perspective because there are so many audiences we have we have to go after. So one of the discussions we are having is what is our long term branding strategy, right? To your point, like can we use the same product name going for going after different audiences, right? So that's one of, one of the first thing we have to think about is. Um, product branding, like how does the product branding should evolve based on different audiences? Because there needs to be some component to identify that this product, this portion, if you have the same for product name for all audiences, then it makes it harder to your point to do segmentation. So one of the things, for example, the Google Apps team did is they, they had, they call it Google Apps for work, for example, or Gmail for work. Actually. They initially started with Gmail for work. So we have like the tiers, but we don't have that branding. It's just one password as a product name. So we're talking about that, number one. Number two, the other thing you can do is figure out the keywords, like what the consumer is searching for versus what the businesses are searching for, and then redirect them to the relevant pages. Because most of the time, people don't come, you know, the way people land on your website is either by searching your product, like company name, one password, or actually searching for keywords, right? So that's the second option you can do is basically based on keyword segmentation, land them on those particular pages, whether the consumer, if consumer is searching, like consumer will always obviously search for password managers, for example, and they will land on, on the consumer related yeah. pages. Now, it's interesting. I'm thinking about the world that you're in, the world many of our listeners are probably in. They're trying to relate. We, you know, earlier this this past season on the Marketer's Journey, we chatted with Chris Kohler, the CMO at Box. And I'm sure that there was a point where Box had to make that same decision that you're describing. Are they going to, I mean, I had a Box personal account at one point, whereas I don't necessarily associate that brand anymore as a personal business app. I associate it as a B2B solution, very different perhaps than Dropbox for a lot of us as we still associate today. So I, you know, do you believe in your in your mind that a company can transcend B2B or B2C and go across those two different markets? Or do you think it's better to pick one and go big on that side? Yeah, this is the dilemma which a lot of PLG companies deal with. To your point, Dropbox is a good example, right? Initially, Dropbox, if you went to dropbox.com, it was basically a consumer product. The consumer product got featured. Now they have shifted it. Now you see if you go to dropbox.com, they have the B2B more targeted toward B2B audiences on their homepage. That's the age-old dilemma every single company deals with. But I think it's an advantage if you have a B2C audience as a customer because it plays into the flywheel, which we saw with Trello as well, right? You started off, a lot of people start using Trello uh, as their personal product, and then they love it so much, they bring it to work. That's exactly how 
Dropbox basically went after business. Yeah. yeah. One password as well, I'm sure, for many. Exactly. People. That's exactly what's happening with one password as well. But what makes it harder is to your point, like how do you do the audience segmentation when they come to the homepage? And this is where I I don't know if there is, you know, a holy grail solution to some extent, because your homepage needs to talk about Assume both for both B2C and B2B audiences and then redirect them through the right experience from the homepage itself. I mean, that's all, that's what needs to happen. No, it's, listen, it's a great debate, great dilemma. We could probably do a whole other podcast on this, but we are going to take another break here. We'll hit you with some other rapid fire questions on the other side on the marketer's journey. So you keep hearing us talk about product-led growth, and I referenced earlier that this is a trend. I actually don't know if this thought in my mind was shared by a previous guest, but more and more I think it's this idea, not just of product-led growth, but our users, and that user-led growth. You hear Raj here share about the opportunity to get someone who uses our product to become the advocate for the bigger spend in that organization. That's true in our personal lives. You know, someone becomes a Peloton user, they start telling other people in their household that increases the reliance on those types of product. That happens with Spotify. Just the other day, my own son asked me for his own Spotify account. It was that time. I think in business, we see that too, whether we're using a solution like an Asana or a Trello or some of the other tech that you're hearing Raj talk about here, like password technology. There's an opportunity for all of us to look and figure out how do we leverage our users to be the biggest advocates of our product? We are back here on the marketer's journey. Raj, we've uncovered your career journey. We talked a little bit about the buyer journey and the many buyers that we need to segment. Now I want to jump to some rapid fire questions and we'll, we'll talk about the next marketing leader. Do you think that that person will come through as a specialist in a certain area of marketing or more of a generalist? How do you hire yourself? Yeah, I think uh, I think if you see the stats, uh, CMOs are more and more coming from a product marketing background versus brand or other functional areas. Love it. Yeah, more and more for sure. And you know that term product-led growth that we hit on today is... All, all but a trend, it's, it's reality. Next one here for you, as you look at the marketers on your team, what do you encourage them to do more of on a daily basis? Yeah, uh, one of the things uh, I encourage everyone is to fail and fail a lot, fail fast and iterate, I use that term. I, I, I think if you're not failing much, then you're basically not taking risk. Love it, yeah, absolutely. So similar to that, what content fails when it comes to you and what content succeeds? I think content, if you do just content purely from an SEO slash analytical perspective, and if the content is not delightful, then that content fails. So if you, even if you're creating content for SEO, you have to keep that in mind that someone needs to read that content and be delighted by it. Uh, so I think delightful content is super important. So true. I mean, that's that's what we want, even in our consumer lives. Something that something that makes us happy or intrigued. Right. So a little bit of research on this one. Uh, 
citing off of LinkedIn, and we already talked about your outbound fury theory, uh, but you also talk about the importance of building low CAC, low touch go to market models. Mm-hmm. If you could give people listening one tip to start doing that today, what would it be? Yeah, I think focus more on long-term investment areas like SEO, content, social, uh, and less on short-term investment areas like paid marketing. Gotcha. And in your world, that is that brand and content pillar. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. That's helpful. Last one for you, and this is sometimes the trickiest for people, but where are you going to take your next personal journey? And when you do that, how how do you advise other marketing leaders to take those breaks that they need to rejuvenate? Yeah, I think uh, I think time up is super important. You know, I'm if you if you look at my Insta or Facebook account, you'll see like I travel a lot. Like me and my wife, we love traveling. <laughs> the next place where you're going to go travel is um, we're talking about like a vacation in Italy, Europe, in around like the June, June time frame. Uh, we haven't traveled for two and a half years, so I'm right. really waiting to travel right now. I think everyone was intrigued if you figured out how to do it in the last two and a half years alone is is an accomplishment. So yeah. how do you take that break when you do? I so breaks I like did a. One is short-term breaks, like during the day. I usually go for a walk. I'm, I'm into this concept of biphasic sleep. I read a book called Why We Sleep, and I'm really totally into it. So I, nowadays I take like short-term naps like in, during the daytime <laughs> to reach out myself. Uh, and then long, long, I'm usually doing the weekend. Like I try to avoid work mostly on Fridays, like Friday evenings and Saturdays because that's my break. I, I don't do any work. And I spend time with the family, friends, do hiking, you know. And then long term is like after every three months during the pandemic, like we went on a road trip, for example, because we couldn't fly. Absolutely. Well, Raj, thanks so much for sharing today. I mean, from those personal tips to the way you're structuring your team to the way you've gone into this amazing opportunity, One Password, so much learned. If you're tuning in for the first time for Raj's story, check out all the other great marketing leaders who have shared their journey One day as you chart your own path, hopefully you'll share it here too. This is The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.